You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Of all the various shapes and forms, sights and sounds of paranormal phenomena, none are quite so disturbing and difficult to explain as the strange happenings of poltergeists. Beginning as frightening occurrences for our ancestors of a distant past, associated with ideas of various different realms of the dead, poltergeists as we know them today have of course evolved with countless cases across the globe of these bizarre events occurring, terrorizing those around. Join us tonight on Into the Portal as we explore some obscure corners of Canadian poltergeist and haunting lore, and attempt to unravel the truly unexplainable and downright terrifying. Poltergeists. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with another episode. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't really see how we could have any other reaction than that because it, we kind of we kind of like looked at our feed and we're like, wait a second, like the last regular episode was The Legend of Ned Kelly and we, <laughs> this month has just been so crazy busy. It kind of slipped away from us with all the straight up strange stuff and mm-hmm. like helping with uh, Spellcast do the promo for Spellcon, which well, was today, which was sweet. And Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving kind of took away from a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're back. We're back. Canadian Thanksgiving, That's which right. is different. It was funny. I had a lot of Americans coming through the shop, you know, doing tastings and whatever. And they were very curious, a lot of them, like, because they came during the holiday. Right. And they didn't realize, a lot of them were confused. They're like, okay, wait, is it the Monday that's the holiday? Is it the entire weekends of the holiday? Or is it Friday to Monday? What's going on here? I don't get it. <laughs> and I honestly didn't even really have an answer because I immediately thought of Easter. And I was like, oh, no, well, it's Good Friday. Wait, no, it's not Good no. Friday. <laughs> but it feels kind of like it. People just pick their different days on the weekend as their, like, their day. True. Their Thanksgiving day. Like for us, we had Thanksgiving dinner on Saturday. Indeed. And then a lot of people traditionally have it on Sunday. Yeah. And then Monday you got the day off. Right. That's the official holiday. And you can just like pay out on leftovers, which yeah. is great. We did We did have a really great Thanksgiving. We had a really special kind of Thanksgiving surprise when we got a sweet shout out from uh, Scott and Forrest from Astonishing oh, Legends yeah. on Twitter, which was really sweet. Um, so obviously shout out to those guys. We love their mm-hmm. show. It's what got us going in podcasting, which was really cool. Oh, I've been loving their latest episodes. I was just trying to tune into their latest at work, actually. 
I turned nice. it on the, the sound system and then a couple came in and they were like, they had a couple of uh, flights and they were listening in. So <laughs> I don't awesome. know what they thought, but astonishing it, legends mixes well with cider does well. With cider. I think so. Absolutely. I, I think so. We have a tiny bit of housekeeping before we get into this week's very haunted episode for you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, a couple things we do. We have a lot of new reviews. Yeah. Yay. Um, it's amazing. We love you all for it. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, guys. We've been checking into the Canadian. There's tons on there. Yeah, like at we, least seven or eight like or something, yeah. and they're all five star and they're all just wicked. And I just love it. Yeah, I I would love to read them out individually, but we don't really have time tonight. But go Indeed. go look at them. It's it's so great. Yeah, check it out. And if you haven't, leave us a review. And uh, wherever you listen, do mm-hmm. you know pound that subscribe button. And because to, to be honest, it's one of those things. I look at them and I'm like, yay! Yeah, I, yeah. I love it. And not, when nice. I'm having a moment, I'll just be like, no, this is why we do this, <laughs> which is awesome. So thank you. We really do appreciate it. And if you haven't already, please drop us a five star yes. and possibly a review if you have the time. Mm, indeed. We yeah. love reading them. Definitely. We do. <clears throat> we have a couple new patrons too. Yes, we do. And thank you. We've got two new paranormal scholars. Yes. Big shout out to Tim, Big Tim and JW Caster. And yeah, they've joined our $5 tier, the League of the Paranormal Scholars, I'm calling it. It's a good little, it's a good uh, a little team of it's good value. scholars now. You get a lot of cool stuff. You do. Um, a, a shout out, obviously. You get some free goodies from the show and you Bonus also content. get... Yeah, you get bonus content too, which, mm. yay! We just put up the Yowie on there not too long ago, and we, we have a couple coming down the pipe. Oh, the Grinning Man. The Ooh. Grinning Man. Which um, was suggested by our producer, Jordan Yu, so thank you very much for that. Awesome. And yeah. then um, I think we have uh, Cryptid too for the mini-sode. We do. Uh, we are going to take a look at uh, the legendary monster of Lake Champlain, uh, <laughs> Champ. Champ. Uh, one of our favorite Nessie. Twitter accounts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of our favorite Twitter accounts. If you don't follow uh, the hotter Nessie on uh, Twitter, go check it out for sure. <laughs> um, one last little thing before we jump right into it here. We have our pumpkin carving contest, you guys. Uh, you know what? We haven't ourselves actually had a chance to carve a pumpkin yet. We are going to do or a anything. whole bunch. I mean, it's only what? The 19th today is something like that. Anyways. It's the 10 days of Halloween. Yes. Let's carve a so, pumpkin yeah. every day. Carve a pumpkin. Tag us at Strange Pods. That is our network account on Instagram. Uh, if you don't have Instagram, uh, at Strange Podcasts on Twitter or Facebook as well. Just like Carve Your Pumpkin, follow us on one of those things. Tag us in your post of your jack o' lantern. At this point, if you're just not a social media person, if you just like email us a picture, we'll enter you. 100%. We will. Totally. Because that's amazing. You as long as you give us a mailing address yeah. so we can mail you some stuff, that would be great. So like bookmarks, yeah. stickers, magnets, epic vintage comics, candy. candy. Like it is a pretty badass Halloween prize pack, mm. you guys. So carve some, I want to, I, I can't wait to see. We did this last year with Into the Portal and we had some really sweet pumpkins and uh, yeah, so I can't wait to see what you guys have. Me too. All right. You ready to jump into this? Let's do it. Poltergeists of Canada. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Getting into it. We've kind of had this uh, ongoing poltergeist theme on this month because obviously it's Halloween Horror Fest and all this stuff. And we covered poltergeist on our film Friday, the original, and Beetlejuice too. And now we're just going to get into some poltergeist of good old creepy Canada. Oh, yeah. Mm. So let's let's get the definition of a poltergeist here before we jump right into things. Okay. So loosely defined... A poltergeist would be a ghost or other supernatural being who is supposedly responsible for physical disturbances. Uh, This could include loud noises, objects thrown around, 
and or disappearing and appearing at random. These objects could be household objects. They could be objects that just shouldn't be there. Right. Right. Uh, all sorts of creepy stuff. Um, also physical contact. It could be biting, scratching, pulling hair, um, other phenomena also commonly reported, like just weird stuff, man. Very like strange stuff. Yeah. Like, telekinetic type stuff. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like cutlery being bent in half and, yeah. and also like covered dro- anything, right? Just ominous, unnatural stuff. And it comes with very much so you did it very, yes, definitely. And it's, and it's, uh, the physical contact aspect of it. That's the most like just downright bone chilling for me. The idea of biting, scratching, pulling hair with an entity from the other side, whether this is Mm -hmm. a, the spirit of a deceased human, just a straight up like non-human entity that we're going to get into all this stuff here Mm -hmm. in tonight's episode. But before we get into some of these, we have a couple of really cool Canadian poltergeist stories that are lesser known. Like, we feel like you guys will probably have never heard of these, except maybe um, Ace over in a Nothing Ever Happens in Canada. Maybe yeah. she's heard of these because she's pretty adept. They're the, obscure. Uh, they are indeed. We wanted to kind of give you guys a little bit of history on the idea of hauntings and poltergeist, though, before we kind of, like, dive right into them, because that's that's just what we do here on Into the Portal. <laughs> and, like, it was kind of interesting looking into this, because obviously... When it comes to hauntings and ghosts and poltergeists and events like this and phenomena like this, it goes back presumably until until like the dawn of man, right? And this is a, an, a, a phenomena that could very well impact animals and other creatures as well. We're going to get into a little bit of that too. But cool. like without question, the concept of a spirit existing, right, like after death has been extremely common, like in humans, since the earliest ancestors walked this earth. So it kind of begs the question, like, did Neanderthals and other early hominids you know, who perhaps met, for example, a violent death, did they end up haunting other Neanderthals or other Homo floresiensis or other whoever it might have been? I That's find that to question. be kind of an interesting thing. Prehistory hauntings. And then, like I just said, again, like animals. I mean, imagine, for example, here running into a spectral great white shark that met mm-hmm. sort of some sort of like terrible demise of some kind, right? Or, or perhaps maybe even a much older creature like a Ceratosaurus, which harkens back to our Monster of Partridge Creek episode. Oh, totally. Right, where there's this sort of uh, um, idea behind it that we talked about. Of an maybe, echo, perhaps? Ex- exactly, or some sort of an, an apparition or, or something. Something that's clearly not an animal living there. We brought up ghost kittens, too, at one point in the show. <laughs> did we really? Yeah. <laughs> when did that happen? Oh, my God. Um, I can't remember when it was, but it was pretty recently, I believe. And we talked about how, like, there was a story about the ghost kittens that the guy threw into the harbor. Oh, The right. sack of kittens. And then they came back to haunt them. Yes. And he, they were, like, mewing all? pitifully outside his window. Right. Anyways. Mm. Ghost cats. Indeed. They exist. And this ties into a few other things we've kind of talked about, too. Like, I even chucked in Mikeli and Bembe here as well. Because, like, with the monster of Partridge Creek, Mikeli and Bembe, very oh, physical good, creatures good and attacks. But also things that shouldn't be. That really shouldn't yeah. be there, very much like a poltergeist in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. I digress um, because we're looking at, t- to kick things off here, the history of poltergeist dating as far back <clears throat> officially as the first century uh, common era, the first century AD, if you will. But indeed, they go back much, much further. So basically, the details of the afterlife, obviously in different cultures, they vary all over wherever we're looking. But it does come down for the most part into the idea, some sort of conceptualization of the realm of the dead right? Um, typically governed by some sort of laws that typically can't be broken unless you're some sort of a special person or you have some sort of special object, whether it's the book of the dead, if we're talking ancient Egypt or whatever it may be, right? Um, 
But it's different everywhere or, you go. Or the guide to the le- or for the recently deceased. The, yeah, the, the handbook <laughs> for the re- for the recently deceased. <laughs> but poltergeists, no doubt, have existed in all of these ancient cultures in some form or another. They've been described in different ways. So we kind of wanted to just go through some of the more interesting ones. We pulled out a few. So like ancient Mesopotamia, ancient China, Egypt, Rome, and and things like that. So kicking things off with the ancient Mesopotamians. This is some information I pulled from uh, ancient.edu. And basically, the land of the dead was known by many names for the ancient Mesopotamians. Uh, Irkala, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, the realm beneath the earth, the land of no return, if you will. This is where souls of the dead, they dwelt in essentially like desolate, dreary darkness, right? They fed off <laughs> dirt, they sipped from mud puddles. And this is a kind what? of a, a parallel to... Um, Like the Mayan sort of underworld. Like, it's not a nice place. It's not ascending to heaven like in Christianity. This reminds me of Beetlejuice again. It's like the sands of nowhere with death worms. The death. There was totally, like, Mm -hmm. Mongolian death worm reference in Beetlejuice. That was awesome. That was great. Loved it. But basically, the souls are permanently in this place of the afterlife, right? And this was also depicted in Gilgamesh. So this is in, in a slightly different way because there's different ideas of the afterlife in ancient Mesopotamia. And we've talked about Gil- Gilgamesh before, but basically it goes with special dispensation, if you will. Okay. With special, you know, like whoever had the power to give a soul to kind of cross back over, this is where ghosts could appear on earth, right? Given license to exit the realm of the dead and come back hmm. to earth. But it's not, it's not really the same way. Like we're shown poltergeists in like a modern way. You know what I mean? As if like to say like the poltergeist that's haunting a family and some whatever the cases we're going to get into today. We're like given license by some like gatekeeper god to like come back to earth to to kind of like finish what they were doing. It begs the question whether there is a gatekeeper or if there is invitation by special energies um, manifesting within a human that's living. Right. We can discuss that too. We can. Potentially, but... Yeah. This was a prevalent thing, though. So, like, the living people of ancient Mesopotamia were fully aware of the presence of these entities being allowed to cross back over to finish unfinished business, essentially. Okay. And very much like poltergeists today, they were always associated with, like, violent death, improper burial, like, whatever sort of, like, horrible ending it may okay. have been. Okay. I'm disturbance, seeing. It's right? almost like a hall pass to kind of go back and finish up whatever you didn't finish up. Basically, you know what I mean? In a lot of ways. Or get your vengeance. That's the sort of freaky part about the idea mm. of a poltergeist, right? Rather than yeah. it being a spirit tied to a place or whatever. Various different historians who have looked at ancient Mesopotamia, specifically, I pulled out this reference about doctors, because obviously most violent deaths way back in the day were from like the battlefield. I mean, a lot of people mm-hmm. died in battle back in the day. And, and honestly, that was considered an honorable death by all means. It was, but violent though. True. At the same time. And and like you weren't expecting it to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And according to some historians, the doctors of ancient Mesopotamia, um, known as the Asu um, and the Asipu, hmm, probably butchered that. They allegedly employed spells in order to combat the rise of potential ghosts before such, but, right? So like before they could actually like come back. So just trying to sort of like ward off these like, ang- like potentially creating, angry spirits. creating gates or something for them right. to, or barriers. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting, right? I like it. Ancient China. Let's move into that just a little bit here too, mm-hmm. because poltergeists were definitely a thing there as well. Um, the Chinese philosopher, philosopher, how did I just say that? Philosopher. Philosopher. 
What a name. Mo T. That's an easy one to pronounce. Oh. Um, 470 to 391 <laughs> BCE. He argued in favor of essentially accepting the idea. He fully believed that ghosts were a real thing. He was constantly reporting on it, and he took in reports from uh, this minister, Tu Po, uh, who allegedly claimed to return from the afterlife after an assassination. So we got Mo T and Tu Po. Mo T and Tu Po. <laughs> I like Damn, it. Right? I like it. I mean, but the, the Chinese belief in ghosts was heavily influenced by, like, the idea of essentially like their practice of ancestor worship in ancient China and the belief oh, that, yeah. the de- that the departed could still have influence on people's lives modern day. And it was a little bit less malevolent than in ancient Just Mesopotamia. take a look at Mulan. Right. Perfect example. Yeah. Right. They even have a festival. That's they actually do. harkens back to Mulan. Oh yeah. Festive movie. They have a festival. All of her ancestors are giving her guidance through that whole movie, right? They send her on that mission. They, they, you know what I mean? It's hilarious. And then they send Mufu. Mufu. <laughs> right? That's the dragon's name. I haven't seen it. And if that's I'm, Eddie Murphy who plays Mufu. the dragon, right? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> oh, Love that movie. Man. I wish it was Halloween movie. <gasps> Mulan Halloween. No, you okay. want to watch it? It's been it's, a while. That's not. <laughs> there, there is an actual ghost festival, so it originated in honor of like appeasing the dead in China, and it continues to this day. It's held on the fifteenth of the uh, seventh month of the year. And that's what just the quote I pulled up here from um, what's this ancient So June, again. the ghost month, it's known as, um, and this is very similar to like Charmaine and some of these other things we've talked about in past episodes. This is a time where the veil between the living and the dead is thought to be the thinnest where the dead can cross over, right? So very much like the Celtic one, uh, the Day of the Dead in Mexico, you know, things like that. And people put out like food and gifts and stuff. So very similar to Charmaine, like we talked about last year. Oh, yeah, very similar. And you would think over in that side of the world, uh, because that would be like almost like that's June, right? The 15th day of the seventh month of June. Or no, 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 sorry, that would be May. Mm. May, not June. And that would be closer to their fall, wouldn't it? Like the end of their fall, like kind of because yeah, like, they're on the other side of the world, obviously. Never been there, but anyway. I don't know. But I, I'm thinking that makes sense, right? Because New Zealand, their seasons are flipped. That makes sense. So, I mean, it's like overall, it definitely sounds like a little less ominous than the, the, it does the, the previous. Uh, but it's still a de- a death, right? And it, it, not it's a day of death, and it's right. a day of celebrating that transition. And a lot of the times fall, like natural seasons are connected to that. Mm-hmm. So that would make sense more so because it seems weird that because like obviously um, the day of the dead is in the fall, right? right? It's in October. Yeah. And same with Samhain. Indeed. Right? So, I believe so anyway, right? Yeah, the first, yeah. like, in fall Same or whatever. Moment. I don't even know how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we got to come back. Classic. we got to rewatch our own. And we rewatch. We rewatch. Our own episode. <laughs> it's almost like we watch them when we listen to them, though. It's very true. Any podcast I listen to, I always imagine the hosts. <laughs> always. <laughs> or, or whatever they're describing. Yeah. Like, Canadian Girl, she paints a vivid picture. She does. Mm-hmm. I, I love wonder, it. I mean, people with aphantasia must not listen, listen to podcasts. They do, probably. But and just like, in a we, completely different way. Yeah, in a very different way. Anyway. We digress. Coming back to dead things, the veil. I think that's the most significant part about this sort of just very, very brief look at ancient China and ghosts, the idea of a veil, because that's kind of what we're dealing with with poltergeist, this idea that like what, that's the big question I have for this episode is like what causes the crossover, what opens portals, and what makes a poltergeist different than other 
hauntings and experiences is it a other phenomena i guess so it's 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 an entrance it is some sort of special circumstance connected to either a place or a person and we're gonna actually like there are differing definitions for a ghost a haunting and a poltergeist right there are variances and all that too uh, I have the definitions further down in we'll, our we'll get into episode. it. We'll get into it. Yep. Ancient will. Egypt is another curious one, you know, something that we've talked about in a few episodes, like with the underworld of Giza. And we talked about the idea of the duat and other concepts in Egypt, with the Egyptian underworld, essentially, like referenced in a lot of things as a very real physical place, mm-hmm. which is so fascinating to to us. And makes it a lot different than some of these other, like even looking at the sort of brief synopsis of the Chinese ghosts. It's a little bit more literal um, with the ancient Egyptians. Um, but yeah, does this tie into the manifestation of poltergeist activity, like moving objects and things like that? Basically like, okay, here's, here's a quote. Here's a really interesting quote. This is from a professor of history and philosophy. He's a current journalist and he writes for a few different websites. And I pulled this again from ancient.edu, Joshua Mark. In the earlier period of Egypt, the soul was considered a single entity known as the Ku, the immortal aspect of an individual. But in later times, the soul was thought to be comprised of five different components. Two of these components, the Ba and Ka, which we've talked about in the past, spirit and personality, came together after death in the form of the Aka. And it was this entity that would return as a ghost. If proper rites had not been observed in burial or some sin had been committed by the living earlier before or after the person's death, the Akka was given dispensation by the gods to return to earth to redress the wrong. Do you feel like that ties into the idea of a poltergeist? Because Hmm. poltergeists usually start in a weird sort of playful way and end up malevolent. In, in the experiences that we've, we'll talk about today. Some of them are explained, some of them aren't. And the cases we're actually going to get into specifically have never been fully explained, which is kind right. of interesting. But that is, it's kind of, I, <laughs> immediately, as soon as you're like, ancient Egypt, I'm like, boom, ter- Pharaoh's curse, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. the yeah. mummy's tomb and the ghost and all that stuff. And it's been ripped off in so many ways in pop culture, but that's a really interesting little quote there. I know. I like that because it definitely ties into the philosophy of ancient Egypt too. It's not just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the angered Pharaoh that was disturbed after death in his tomb and la la la. And now right. he's wreaking his vengeance and la la la. But I like that a lot. And I definitely think that is something that would tie into an earlier conception of what could be considered a poltergeist. If right. there are recorded cases in ancient Egyptian culture that would like describe things similar to what we're going to talk about today with our two case studies. Yeah. And of course, we, we need to look further into this. We well, always prompt, need to. Prompts a follow-up it's episode so on just many pure ancient Pure ancient, like, poltergeist. Like, that's an episode in and of itself. Like, we should definitely do that. I mean, there's mm. historic cases that are pretty, pretty special that Patreon we should exclusive, cover. Patreon exclusives, Patreon exclusives. Mm. Ancient Rome was an interesting one, just because, like, it was described that ghosts were allegedly like they appeared in very certain and predictable ways at least that's what people believed the ancient romans so it was it was always at night which i find <clears throat> fascinating i guess that's typical when it comes to like anything ha- haunted or anything like that but it does sometimes happen during the day but they mm-hmm. they saw these apparitions as as very real in both physical appearances at nighttime or in dreams so whether it was a, a person's you know a, a, tra- a traumatic death or whatever it was 
they would see entities in dreams and then sometimes the same ones in physical appearances. And they all, it was always at nighttime. I thought that that was kind of interesting. The first century AD, um, Pliny the, Pliny the Younger. Okay. So the great, one of the great Roman authors, um, he wrote down one of the first notable ghost stories, at least in Roman history, in his letters. And they came, became really famous for this super, super vivid account um, of life during the, the, you know, the early heyday of the Roman Empire. But he reported that a specter of an old man with a long beard and rattling chains would constantly haunt him in his house in Athens, Greece. It's like an earlier version of Marley and Marley. <laughs> well, it's, it, I wonder if that's where they got that from. Interesting. You know, like early shackles and stuff like that. Fast forward a little bit here again to the first century, a little bit further. So we've got this guy by the name of, oh, that's, this is a fun one. Let me see. Flavius Josephus Witnessed. Mm, no, that's just, I'm just kidding. It's um, Flavius uh, Josephus. He basically saw an alleged exorcism, 94 AD. So according to uh, a book called A Cross-Cultural Review of Py- uh, Psychokinesis, not Pyrokinesis, <laughs> by Pamela Ray Heath, historian uh, Flavius Josephus, he probably has the first claim for at least one of the earliest poltergeist activities like on record. So he reported this at the site of an exorcism in 94 AD, and he claimed that as the spirit was drawn out of the individual... After this was achieved, objects in the room were moved, most notably a large bowl of water that was across the room that got overturned in a violent manner. Now, this is kind of coming back to this whole thing again, like we'll talk about at the end, like demonic entity, the elemental, like human ghost, like possession in a a person. Is this the same as like a poltergeist? The classic definition of a poltergeist. Yes, there's a bowl being chucked over that's physical activity that Mm -hmm. we do see with poltergeist activity. We, we don't need to get too deep into semantics here because it's all freaky shit no matter what happens. What if it's Stranger Things? Ooh. <laughs> oh, upside down. No, I'm <laughs> But still, pretty freaky, especially for like 94, you know, C-E-A-D, right? Like if, if you hear this story, it's only going to like intensify the beliefs that were obviously very prevalent at the time. Yeah. Oh, Several sure. hundred years later, this was kind of an interesting thing. Eight. 56 CE, the first official poltergeist as we know it today in any case, was reported. Okay, so a ghost that causes physical disturbances such as loud noises or objects being thrown around. This was reported at a farmhouse in Germany. Okay, and that's where we get the term poltergeist. It's a German It's a German translation for noisy ghost. Right. And allegedly in this case, the poltergeist tormented a family living there by throwing stones, starting fires, knocking things over, and just causing general mayhem around the house. And there are many reported reported poltergeists over the years. That is, say that five times fast. Reported poltergeists, reported poltergeists. That's tough. Um, But really, none of them can be adequately, oh my God, I can't talk today, adequately explained, including this one in Germany. You know, it was a small town that these people lived in. I mean, bizarre. It's kind of one of those things. It's like you'd almost be afraid to tell people, like, especially if you were like, the church is either going to come after you or they're going to help you. It's one of those two things. You're either going to be like labeled witches or somebody might help you out. Maybe. Or they might just ignore you and you're just left to... Left for dead. Left to deal with it. Or make harmony with the ghosts like they did in Beetlejuice, huh? Mm. Hmm. Well, that's enough of me mispronouncing things and rambling on. Let's get into a couple of our more modern, spooky Canadian cases. Yeah, I was really stoked. I 
pulled a lot of the well the both of them are from barbara smith's um it's the canadian hauntings oh i don't have it in front of me right now but it's it's amazing book it's going to be right in our show notes just so you guys know before too i did reference it that's where i got that other i think it was the the case of the haunted cats i can't be 100 percent because i've been reading a lot of ghost books lately but Mm -hmm. it yeah this one is particularly disturbing and it originated on a military base in edmonton alberta So the story begins with the Millers and their name has definitely been altered because they came out way later because they were in the military, right? You can't really be active and be, you know, talking about this kind of stuff. (laughs) It's kind of frowned upon. No, for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're a military family and they ended up moving to this base um, in Northern Alberta. Date is unknown, unclarified in the book. And essentially, it was a family of three. Don Miller, he was a military search and rescue technician, his wife, Bobby, and their infant son. When they moved to this base, they had no idea what was in store for them. And like I said, their story was kept under wraps for years later because of the distaste the military has for its personnel reporting paranormal experiences, especially on base. Right. Like this is on military property. (laughs) Yeah, not ideal. While continuing to remain an active employee, like, no, 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 that's definitely not something you can do. So very sensible. And I feel like that's a very common thread with Canadian paranormal encounters. We're all kind of afraid to share because we don't want to be laughed at. We don't want to be the butt of the joke. We don't want to be, you know, the laughing stock, so to speak. No, for sure. Yeah. But in this case, it started with the pets. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a frog in my throat. It's, all right. it's not a frog. It's actually a dog and a cat in this case. <laughs> <laughs> Started with a frog. Started with a frog, man. Cooked the legs. They were delicious. All right, let's move on. <laughs> the legless frog. <laughs> the phantom the frog. The legless frog. <laughs> Creepy pasta. Yeah. Anyways, mm. okay, getting ahead of ourselves here. The Millers had a cat and dog, and both, as soon as they moved into this house, started to behave very strangely. They would both stare in this one specific corner of the living room. And the other target was the spare bedroom upstairs. The dog flat out refused to go into the spare bedroom, even when ordered. He was a very good dog, but he refused. He would whine incessantly. Even when anyone was in that room, he would just stand outside and watch them just just to be sure. It was that weird. Yeah. No. Meanwhile, the cat would just stand in the doorway when no one was in there and just look in for hours at a time. Who knows what that cat was seeing? <laughs> you know what? I just, like, quick little rabbit hole side note here, too. I saw a cool article posted in the um, our strange room on Facebook about cats and about how uh-huh. their sleep, like, research into how they sleep and just, like, their perception at night like would basically they're poised perfectly to peer directly through the veil is what I gleaned oh. from a very, very quick glance at this article. That's cool. Um, yeah. I believe that. Anyway, continue. That makes cats kind of freakier. They're like, already freaky. It's almost they're, they're the canaries in the coal mine, so to speak. Yes. Mm-hmm. Except they can get out. Everybody else gets slaughtered in the house. <laughs> No one gets slaughtered in this story. Indeed. And the cat is definitely more intuitive, and the dog is too. They're both in the same boat. So there's this other weird thing. So I mentioned the living room corner. There was a dream catcher that they had placed in that corner, and both of the animals would stare at this. Meanwhile, the dream catcher, which was the first object in the house that began 
to move on its own, behaving very, very strangely, it would just spin. It would spin and spin like incessantly to the point where it was just furious, always in the same direction. And it would never get shorter, which is weird, right? You know, a, a, a string is spinning in one direction, right. no release. Eventually, it would have to wind itself all the way up to the ceiling, but it never happened. See, that almost makes me wonder if it was just a straight optical illusion. The fact that it's a, a dream catcher, too, is also just sort of a double weird thing because of all, obviously like the significance of a dream catcher and depending on who you are, what you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, yeah. A dream catcher is like almost, yeah, maybe a portal. It, it's, it catches things. So maybe it was kind of caught in the web for a while, but this didn't remain for very long. And like I said, this was... It, it was weird, but it wasn't malevolent. It was more like um, childish, like a kid trying to get attention. Right. And that's where it started. And then, of course, the TV was next. <laughs> Always. Classic. Always the TV. Classic. It's a very old tube set that the Millers had. And it had that really old school channel knob. And you had to really like clunk it to change the channel. And it was like really stiff, really old and stiff. And Don, when he was at home one night watching a program, he watched as all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this knob turned slowly until it clunked to the next channel. Hmm. Hmm. This was something that began to be a pattern and it got more and more annoying. At first he was kind of just puzzled, but then it would just happen all the time to him and always when he was alone. And he didn't actually tell his wife, Bobby, about it at first because he thought he was going to be, like, laughed at a little bit. Okay. But when she actually did confront her about it, finally, she was like, oh, that happens all the time. (laughs) All the time. (laughs) Yeah. What? Yeah. And it was kind of funny because Don and Bobby both kind of kept their experiences private for a little bit. And... It just ballooned from there. And it was like, again, right? Classic attention-getting tactics where it just ramped up. It was incessant uh, channel changing, constant spinning of the dream catcher. And one day, Don got so annoyed that he actually yelled at the Phantom to leave the TV alone. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) It actually worked. It stopped. And yeah, no, it was kind of funny because like I said, like Bobby seemed a lot more like nonchalant about the whole thing. And Don was disturbed and annoyed. Like he was like, this isn't natural. I don't understand why we should just accept this kind of thing was the idea. Um, But again, right. It wasn't anything that was going to be threatening to their lives or to their livelihood. At this point, it didn't occur to be that way. No, no, it didn't seem to be that way. Back to the spare bedroom because mm. this was kind of a hot spot. So they had this spare bedroom and it was for storage mostly because it was always surprisingly cold, even though it was in the upstairs in the second floor. And same room, pets never entered that room. They always just stared at it. Bad and, news, man. And so, of course, it became storage. You know, they kept all sorts of things in there, an old photo album, like many old photo albums of their family and whatever. And Bobby started to notice that there was two photographs in particular that began to appear regularly on the bed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, kind of strange. And which ones were they? <clears throat> That's just it. They're not clarified in the story. Oh, it's not man. as if they were portraits or we, anyone in specific, but they were always the same ones. Right. And just, yeah, and just to give you guys some context to that, like Amber especially, like we both did, but Amber especially for this particular case, like tried to dig in and find a little bit more. And j- short of like, 
getting a hold of the actual author of the book where we pulled some of this information from not a lot of info no, on this case including can. the house itself and like in terms of like who who had lived in there before how it was constructed and things like that so it was really really tough to find it's one of those one of those more obscure ones for sure which makes mm-hmm. it all the more fun in a way we yeah. can speculate now yeah and so going back to the photos yeah, so Bobby, she was the first one because she was like, you know, stay-at-home mom kind of thing with her baby. And she noticed that there was always these two photographs. And she kind of knew it was her husband. Always like, you know, she's the mouthless. And that she's just, she does her husband. And Don refused his mom. He was not a proprietor that they had placed in the spare bedroom on top right, of a desk. Right. And this became the next focus of the poltergeist. And many a times the Millers would find it on the floor with no signs of a fall, no damage, no upheaval. It's not like it was on its side or anything, even though it was very heavy, very Those heavy. Those old ones are yep. hefty. Yeah, antique. And eventually, the keys actually started typing at random when no one was even close to the spare bedroom. And then on several occasions, Bobby would be downstairs and she would hear the typing furiously upstairs. And then eventually she just got really tired of it and put the keyboard, or sorry, the typewriter in the basement. And she could still hear the sounds. Yeah. And then that's when she decided to place paper into the typewriter. Smart. Yeah. Um, One day she had actually just got off the phone with her mother-in-law, who had just invited them over for dinner. And she was just, you know, going about her business, doing the dishes or whatever. And... She heard the keys typing away. (laughs) (laughs) So, ominous moment. She runs downstairs as soon as it's finished typing. She's very polite. She waits for it to finish. And then she's like expecting some profound message from the other side. And nope, she just gets this very mundane well wish from her phantom saying, have a pleasant time at your parents' home. I mean, not, not a, very spooky. I mean, it, it 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 is and it isn't because obviously the idea of like something just constantly listening to you that and is not spooky, knowing yeah. who who this was mm-hmm. or what this is and why. Like, why are you there? Is it just is it is it exactly that? Is it a benevolent spirit that's just trapped? Very similar to Beetlejuice, right? Where it's right. like just a couple that happened to die and they're just like, well, we're just here, I guess, forever. So, just trying to have any kind of interaction at all. And the, I mean, maybe. if I was a spirit, I would probably be trying to do the same thing. Yep. There was actually sightings of a ghostly appearance of a woman. Dawn saw this on one occasion. He was standing at the top of the stairs and he glanced down the stairs and saw a slender young woman with shoulder length hair and a dark floral dress at the bottom of the stairs. And then he turned away to beckon his wife over and she had disappeared by the time he got back <laughs> Yeah, so maybe it was her. Maybe she was an old typist from way back in the day or something and had some yeah. unfortunate occurrence. Anyways, you can you can conjecture all day about We can this conjecture kind of all day, but it's it, it does bring up a lot of interesting questions about poltergeist because obviously like the dream catcher's spinning, there's other weird things that all they all fall in line with the idea of a poltergeist. But then we don't know what happened to this person. Was it a violent death? Is there was there a disinterred burial or whatever? It doesn't really appear to be that case i wonder yeah it wasn't violent but what is it attached to like why why the house is it the house or is it just choosing to be there or is it the people and this spirit was with them this entire time or one of them and now Mm -hmm. that they're in this house it's finally like well we're settled in here now i can start typing on a typewriter yeah because some people believe that poltergeists are solely attached to people 
That's just it. That's where we're getting to this whole discrepancy between a haunting and a poltergeist. And we've kind of entertained that theme before with the whole, with actual, like the film Friday poltergeist yeah. and uh, even a little bit with Beetlejuice too. And now it's, it, it's very interesting though. And these people were very sympathetic. It's not like they were like, I don't know, like it wasn't as if they couldn't manage with it. And it yeah. just got to a point where they got a little freaked out. There was one instance where Bobby, she had just put her baby down for a nap and she, everything was, you know, in order in the baby's room. She goes downstairs for a few hours until she hears the baby awaken, goes up to get it. And every single item of clothing that was in the baby's drawers is stacked neatly on top of the dresser. And as soon as that happened, she was like, okay, I'm not cool with this anymore because I have an infant and you know what I mean? Like that's priority number one and we need to get out of this place. And as soon as she told Don that he was actually probably more happy than anything and was just like, yep, let's get rid of this place. And they just kind of, they moved out eventually very quickly. Actually, they just like, you know, it's a military base. So you can just like apply for a better house or bigger house, right? Because they have a growing family and they kind of use that as an excuse Hmm. and they never looked back. They were like, nope, let's get out of here. And they never actually followed up on anyone that was living in there after them. So we're not actually sure if this activity continued or intensified. Yeah, you have to wonder. I mean, obviously, if these things were sort of slowly ramping up for this family, if the next tenants were going to, if it was going to pick right up where it left off. And I think that's kind of the... That, I mean, obviously there's no rhyme or, there really is no rhyme or reason when it comes to poltergeist. Like there, there's some predictability in terms of at least like you can put it into categories of like what is what, but I mean, all this puts everything I believe and what I know and what I think I know and everything like that into total jeopardy in question when it comes to this type of thing. And like when I was on the Zang This podcast last week, um, I don't want to put any spoilers or anything cause they're launching it on Halloween, but like. Everyone knows, I've said it many, many times, that like when it comes to ghosts, like this stuff freaks me out the most because you can't pin it down. You can't, you, you don't, you just don't know what's what. And even bringing in a priest to help you deal with something, it's like, okay, well, I feel slightly better. But then it also makes me question, it's like, should I be going to church every day? <laughs> like if, if this is working, then that might pose a problem for me. Change of belief systems. <laughs> we do have another really interesting case for you guys. Taking another hop, skip, and a jump over to more of uh, central Canada here, Manitoba. So Manitoba Avenue, this really famous um, famous house on Manitoba Avenue. So a classic, classic, classic poltergeist case involving a young girl who spent most of her childhood essentially just terrified of this, of various spectral apparitions haunting her home. And this tale picks up in and around 1953, Manitoba Avenue. This is Winnipeg, Manitoba. The Pip family... They had just recently purchased a new home, and in the opinion of a lot of people in the neighborhood, it was kind of ugly. It was a bit of a monstros- you know, monstrosity, if you will, and we know a lot of houses like that in our neighborhood, too. Um, it was made with a limestone foundation and had hideously ugly gray painted brick that gave the abode basically just just very, very depressing, unpleasant feel. It was ripe for a haunting, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it was more than just the paint job, though. That would make this place the most frightening home for this family, which included um, a little girl named Eva and her mother and father. So it's just a little small family. She was only three years old when they first moved in to the Manitoba Avenue residence. Um, when she, when the little girl was first, when she first entered, 
Okay, she climbed the ornate staircase, only three years old, while her parents explored the first floor. When they found their child, Eva was frozen solid. They had left her alone. She's climbing around, staring at a broom closet. That is way more ominous than the cats and dogs staring into a room. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there right now. <laughs> yep. Okay, this place would become the center of activity in this house, the broom closet. What does that remind you of? Mm, poltergeist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The toy closet. Yeah. But again, it's just this sort of like room to nowhere, which is kind of funny. That's just sort of like a, it reminds me of like yeah. a Winchester too. It's like you open, closets are weird like that. If you're expecting it to not just have hangers for clothes and you open the door, it's a door to nowhere. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just my observation of that. Eva, um, her mother and father, they often heard these phantom footsteps especially near the front door on the staircase and each stair creaking as if there was an invisible presence, like making its way to the top. So always stopping at the closet door though. And this is what terrified Eva. So that's, that is just, so you've, you've got these footsteps. I wish we had some sound effects here for this. So maybe we can add them in. And then it stops right at the closet door, clearly some sort of a portal or something absolutely bizarre yeah freaky man and every time this happened and eva freaked out her father would investigate there was no intruders there was nothing nothing that could explain what was going on in the home there was nothing there there's no rats there's no animals there's nothing and this poor little eva she suffered from most she's she i mean being only three years old she really suffered the most from these um entities, if you will, this phantasmal presence in the home. And she would spend most of her daytime hours alone in the house as her parents worked, which is not really making it any easier for her, right? You're left at home to deal with all this crazy stuff. Like, where's the nanny is my question. Yeah. There had to have been somebody popping in and looking on it, whatever. Although this is kind of like, I don't even know, maybe they were I don't know. They weren't poor. Clearly not. I mean, because this is a decent, this is a nice house. I mean, it's ugly, mm-hmm. but it's well built by all accounts. Yeah, it was a big house. Anyway, clearly being alone affected her and she developed these habits to kind of protect herself. So she started sitting pressed up against a wall so that no ghosts could like sneak up on her from behind. This is, was, this is their strategy in her head. Um, she played the piano and often while she played... She, she kind of, she played to comfort herself, presumably, but often while she played, there would be an enormous crash heard at the bottom of the staircase with absolutely nothing to explain it. And you and I have experienced this as well, where we've heard the crashing of like a china cabinet with absolutely mm-hmm. nothing to explain it. Phantasmal sounds. Absolutely bizarre. She basically, she also experienced this phantom ghost poltergeist, if you will, in the form of sounds exclusive to her parents or to her bedroom quarters, rather. And she would often hear a ball bouncing against her wall and then followed by a scraping sound that would continue for like hours at a time. It's like just taunting her. Weird combinations of sounds. And yeah, clearly taunting. The scratching is the more ominous of those It's so sad to think that a three-year-old would have to develop a habit of being pressed up against a wall just because she's so like just terrified of what is around her. I feel like... Like maybe she's I wonder a what she's doing the, today. Yeah, no kidding, right? This is only 1953. <laughs> it's it's kind of like I hope she's okay. Craziness, right? Yeah. But things kind of got a little more visceral after that. I can be seen. I can touch you if you know what I mean. <laughs> In a non-creepy molester way. <laughs> well, some poltergeists definitely get into a little bit of a molesty kind of a, a vibe. 
I mean, the poltergeist and poltergeist <laughs> stole a little girl through the closet and was using their her energy to kind of like live vicariously in this other weird, creepy Alrighty. realm. Well, that didn't happen in this case. No, it did. No, um, but Eva and her mother actually both saw an entity. It was described as a middle-aged man. He had brown hair and was often seen late at night. Eva would see him in her room. And her mother actually encountered him in broad daylight. In one instance, she actually was squeezed by this man on her arm. And she was convinced he was a living, breathing person because he was so real and so visceral that she followed him into the kitchen and he dissolved before her very eyes. Dissolved. Love Very that spooky. Mm-hmm. This wasn't the end of it, though. There were objects again. This is a very common theme in poltergeist intrusions. Objects that were like either they would randomly fall off shelves, counters. This would be pictures, decorations of some weight, things that a ghosty probably, you know what I mean? Like this, this is stuff that can't just be fallen because you step on a weird creaky floorboard and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, you know what I mean? Like even it wasn't even that old of a house, I don't think. So that kind of meh. You can't chalk it up to that. Not really. Other objects would randomly disappear only to reappear much later in places they did not belong and no one would ever admit to moving them. Again, very spooky. There was actually... (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to just jump ahead a little bit here because there sure, was a sure. sliver of bone that was deposited at the top of the staircase near the closet door. A mm. random sliver of bone. These people didn't have a cat. They didn't have anything that would drag something in. And it just appeared in front of the ominous closet door. I would want that analyzed. They what? didn't They didn't touch it. <sighs> they did not touch it. Yeah, good. maybe a good call. Yeah. But that makes you wonder. It's like a bone of what? I don't know. A human bone, perhaps? But it actually just disappeared later on. Just on its own. No one touched very, it. Very, very strange. It's almost man. like another hook. You know what I mean? Another sort of thing to tease you or to, to drag you to that place. And it was very spooky because after that happened, the pips did investigate that closet a little bit further. They found that there was a space... That was sealed off. Hmm. Oh, yes. I love this. This definitely confirmed to the family that it was the epicenter of paranormal activity. However, according to Barbara Smith's account, they were too afraid to investigate it further. They would continue living through this hellish sort of endurance for 23 years before they sold the place. 23 years. Of this weird phantasmal sounds and random spectral appearances. And obviously their child, their only child, getting frightened to death on a, <laughs> on a nightly occurrence. Man, that would be horrible. Just yeah. horrible. And it was interesting because the new owners, they definitely experienced it like similar, if not a little bit different phenomena. There was this one account how they moved in and they actually found in the basement a layer of black water with no cause or explanation. Black, pure black. How do you explain that? Once again, there was no rain. There was no nothing, no flooding, no anything. And it was kind of funny, but they supposed it was the spirit announcing his presence before the new owners. <laughs> Man, what a way, what a way to make an entrance. Yeah. I mean, 
these things that you just described, this might sound like a little bit out of left field, but like the idea of like, these are very physical things, right? Like water, black water doesn't make any sense. Why is it black? Why is it there? Um, How do they get rid of it? They pump it out? I wonder. These sorts of things are even the idea of like things being physically moved and they end up where they're not supposed to be. It reminds me of Skinwalker Ranch. Um, where I'm thinking oh, totally. of like, where I'm thinking of like, you know, the wolf in the earlier, uh, paranormal activity with, with the, with the fur that's like deceased flesh that's like left over mm-hmm. behind. Doesn't make any sense. Very similar to the water. Is that like rancid water of like dead people? What is that? <laughs> and then obviously things being moved. Like there was like, whatever the, the, the post, the post digger at the top of a tree and very mm-hmm. similarly with like poltergeist activity. I might be sort of just very unintentionally crossing over into some sort of grand unified theory here, which I'm not planning on doing in this episode. So I'm going to just stop talking and we can continue on here. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of theories and ideas surrounding this type of activity. We're not going to do a full comprehensive survey of all of them. There was um, a few ideas that we thought were kind of interesting. There was one that was from this um, institute in Italy. Yes, Instituto Fisica Superiore in Caligari. Yes. Uh, Cagliari, sorry. Cagliari. Cagliari. And they were researching what might cause or attract a poltergeist, um, trying to explain the origins of this phenomena and these these objects and all this stuff. So, of course, they kind of, you know, doing a quick whatever, look around the world, these encounters or phenomena tend to have one thing in common that they kind of pulled out and they often occur in the neighborhood of a young child or kind of a pubescent woman like you know what i mean young like women like, that. like a young child or a young young woman, women basically. young children yeah mm-hmm. even though in the case of the uh the military base it was actually a young boy right but who knows what the actual anyways <laughs> the idea is that according to them the changes of the brain that occur at that puberty level um they involve in fluctuations of electron activity that in rare cases can create disturbances up to a few meters around the brain which could ultimately result in physical disturbances of objects around someone it's basically saying like unintentional like psychokinetic ability it's carry all over again it is it's basically saying like this is like yeah like telekinetic or telekinetic rather yeah so like yeah like that there's basically a field meters out around the brain at Mm -hmm. this time but that that's kind of a stretch for me when we hear stories and cases of things being really like picked up and swirled around a room i mean a spinning dream catcher maybe Mm -hmm. like right like it's already hanging like there's already gravity being like you know what I mean? It's already being helped out a little bit. It's hanging from a string. It's not like a couch being moved across a room or even like or, a bowl of water being flipped over for that mm-hmm. matter. I'm thinking even like with the hexam heads and Ooh. there was children in that household and there was an object as well. And it's like, what was the actual energy centered around? I wonder. We always, it whether it's female or male, kids are always susceptible to all of these creepy cases we come up with. And this is where we're sort of straddling that line between like, deceased human spirit as a poltergeist or it doesn't matter if it's a young woman or a young boy in the case of the millers it was a young boy but if there's an entity it doesn't have to be demonic it doesn't have to always be this malevolent like whatever like rah-rah like supporters of payment or whatever Mm -hmm. but like not of this earth you know what i mean Well, getting back to this article here, it's kind of interesting because they kind of um they're a little reductionist maybe they kind of (laughs) they go to quantum mechanics And these fluctuations that occur, this is kind of weird. Okay, so it says here, 
children generate poltergeist activity by channeling energy into the quantum mechanical vacuum. These disturbances would be similar in character to the quantum mechanical fluctuations that physicists believe occur in a vacuum, in which virtual particle and antiparticle pairs pop up for a fleeting moment before they annihilate each other and disappear again. Um, these scientists believe that the extra fluctuations are triggered triggered by the pubescent brain would substantially enhance the pr- presence of virtual particles surrounding the person. They This could slowly increase the pressure of air around them, moving objects, even sending them hurtling across the room. This is their idea. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I don't know. I think <laughs> I love it because it's just like a very conventional way of trying to explain something that we have no explanation for. And the thing is, is that this doesn't always occur when there's kids. Like, it, it, it's mo- it's common, but that can't explain. Or perhaps just, like, weird energy, you know? Yeah. Um, traumatic energy, maybe, too. You never know. Well, I mean, you're bringing up this idea of, obviously, the physics of the spirit, in a sense, too. I mean, they're not talking about spirit. They're talking about, basically, like, poltergeist being explained in another sort of way, manner of, like, physics, basically, mm-hmm. quantum physics. But I'm very curious about that because if we're believing that these are actual entities, the physics of a spirit is really fascinating to me. Like an entity being able to touch a person, break bones, pull hair, scratch skin, you know, move objects. What state did they have to be in or what state, like how are they capable of affecting matter in this realm, right? Like stuff that is governed by the laws of gravity, things like that. That is like, man, it's like if there's anything the military should be researching, it's ghosts, I feel like. There's like the the, the powers of that are like Ghost much soldiers. greater. Ghosts. Well, yeah, just like yeah. in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Badass. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I find that to be just such, such a confusing thing. It's like they're creating their own anti-gravity fields based on their own state, their own state of matter, which is not mm-hmm. of this world. It's a state of matter that can't be explained in our realm basically and therefore they're able to impact objects they're above us and beyond us Hmm. Hmm. i mean yeah and you throw the idea of like the hexham heads too like cursed objects is another sort of strange thing that that sort of ties into this too it's like could a could a poltergeist potentially be I mean, sort of channeling itself through an object in this in a case like the hexagon. Many people would argue that, even in the case of like haunted dolls, right? That's very much the same case. Well, we have the doll in Poltergeist that ruined my childhood, mm-hmm. where it's um, acting through a clown. Yeah, they definitely jazzed up that what about, clown for the remake. Oh, what was that one that we covered in? Was it called Ed? What was the name? It's a very simple doll. And he lives in Robert a museum now. Robert. Robert. Robert the doll. Yeah. The original Annabelle, I guess, eh? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, cursed objects. There was also another interesting Canadian case of a woman, a nurse, who happened to find an old-fashioned nurse's cap. She was working at a psychiatric ward, I believe, and she ended up taking the cap home. The next day, she brought the cap back, and she was just mortified, just t- absolutely terrified of this thing. She put it back exactly where she found it, and then a few hours later, it was just gone. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> very strange it's almost, that's like almost an invitation right you know what i mean like yeah and same with the sliver of bone you could suppose hey with the pips family and like what would ha- what, what would have happened if they took that bone or if they it's moved the it bait. Yeah. yeah it's so mm-hmm. ominous that reminds me of like insidious 
like and stuff like that. <laughs> and of course it does. Like we mentioned in the middle of the show, like we experienced something like this when we were living in one of our, not our most recent place, but the place before where we were just chilling downstairs and there was this massive crash, like the most loud, violent smashing of plates we had ever heard. And both of us looked at each other and we sprinted upstairs to make sure our landlord was still alive, that she didn't get crushed by a china cabinet. And she was just sitting there reading. She was like, what noise? Mm. That was yeah, so that was bizarre. No but of course, it's a house that nobody had died in. Yeah. They had built it themselves. Mm-hmm. It clearly had not been built on top of a cemetery like in the movie Polter- Poltergeist. Mm, you never know. It's overlooking a bluff. I suppose it's possible. It could have been some sort of very <laughs> old cemetery. Yep. But that's just all these things that come come into question when it comes to the poltergeist and these types of entities. And you still haven't really given me a straight answer when I keep throwing this out because it's super weird. A ghost or a spirit from a, for, a former earthbound living creature is different from an entity from another realm, right? Demons, elementals, things mm-hmm. like that, like the elemental at Left Castle. But all of these things can occupy living people, objects, they can haunt, they can come forth as poltergeists. Does that not strike you as extremely strange and convoluted? It's, it's all very convoluted. And I that's why I wanted to bring up a few different definitions, right? For just the differences or interpretations and all this stuff where ghosts in particular, you know, if you're talking about ghost, you're talking about a spirit of someone that was at one point living and they're kind of caught in this sort of ambiguous plane of existence between this and the next. And they can, they're most likely intelligent. They can interact with the living in various ways, whether it's through spoken or through a pinch on the arm or through just an apparition, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Um, versus a haunting, which would be a recording of an event um, on an environment. They don't interact with the living. It's very much like those haunted Roman soldiers that kind of like march through that oh, house. Oh, I see. You know I what see. I mean? Where they're just doing their thing. It's not like you can be like, hey man, what are you doing here? And they'll like look at you and be like, what? Why are we here? Oh my God. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, exactly. Where do you want to get going, boys? But, uh, <laughs> and then and then poltergeist, right? Which are neither ghosts nor hauntings caused by the unconscious mind of a living person, energy manifesting, usually under some kind of stress. That's just one definition. Though, it right? is just one loose definition. Because we gave the first one at the beginning where well, it's we, clearly not that. No, I know. But like, this is almost like the, what we gave was almost like the causation of what is the actual source, right? If, you, if, if, do, well, okay, let me ask you this then, if we're ready to get to this, do you buy that? Are you buying into that? Do you believe that that is the source? Yeah, I think, I think definitely if you're talking about a poltergeist, you're talking about an aggr- aggravation that is in conjunction with a living being. It's not, neither haunting nor ghost, right? And so I'm not even sure, like when we're talking about like the two cases that we laid out, do you think in your mind that those are both poltergeists or do you think that they were attached to the place? Because with the Millers, it seemed very much attached to the place. They moved in there, mm-hmm. all this stuff happened to them, they left and yeah. never found out if it continued. Versus the other case, the Pips, seem to be attached to the place too. So it's almost as if if you're going to take these definitions as literal, it almost seems as if they're more ghosts than but it's almost like an amalgamation and that's where you're kind of you you kind of right because like alluded to that too right where it's like i feel as though there could be combinations not black and white no it isn't because because like okay the the way you've delineated this now it's like ghosts can so ghosts that would be specifically the spirit of a of a deceased individual or entities if you will that can't be ascribed that 
can cause poltergeist mm-hmm. act like activity. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and that's that almost the like confusion here. It's almost like a Beetlejuice, right? Where he is kind of like a pol- he is a ghost, but he wants to be a poltergeist. <laughs> like he needs to attach himself to something living, right? In order to actually cause that chaos. Totally. And then I guess this is the other side of it too. If beyond that, like beyond like misinterpreting like a haunting to have as being like poltergeist activity, if it's the it's the stress, it's the energy, it's this manifestation created by an individual. Can that open gateways? Can that open portals? Mm-hmm. Can that impact yeah. impact things that we can't see and understand? So it's not necessarily like the energy is picking up a picking up a broom and throwing it across the room, and there's absolutely nothing more paranormal beyond it. It's just pure yeah. quantum physics. Mm-hmm. But that this energy that is this definition of a poltergeist creates a gateway. That's exactly, and that's it. what that they were trying mm-hmm. to play on in that movie. In the in the uh, the eighties movie, Poltergeist, we should, we even though watch, it was just a mashup. We need to go of watch the nineteen was it eighty two or eighty six uh, Poltergeist two. We do <laughs> definitely. Let's do it definitely. It's Halloween, but I mean, like maybe Almost. I think that that's what they were going for in that movie, right? It's like the little girl is opening the gateway, very true, rather than that she's the sole cause. Yeah, and, and then and the original the, gateway, the like kind of epicenter of all yeah. of it was a house, but now it's gone. But then obviously there's going to be two other movies, so it has to be centered around this girl, right? And then the curious thing, of course, with that was like once the gateway's open, it's like, okay, the door's open and there's a whole bunch of different things on the other side of that door. And there's the okay. beast. They call it the beast or what was it called again in that one? It was non-human. And that's the thing that's that the I'm thing... questioning here. It's like, yeah, because exactly. if things are coming over or crossing through and causing activity, it doesn't, there's, it's so hard to ascribe anything, mm-hmm. right? Once, and oh man, that's an episode in and of itself too, like purgatory, the in-between, the whatever there was real spirits that they talked about, like in that movie, and then there was the 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 elemental. I love using that word. That's what it is. It's this non, it's this strange, like unimaginable entity that was doing whatever. It wasn't like Joe who died in a tractor accident three years ago down no, the road. No, but the it's almost like an amalgamation of all of that, right? Because it's, it essentially is a manifestation of a lot of negative energy, hatred, all this stuff, pain, suffering, and that was what Lap Castle was. So it makes yeah. sense. Right. Makes sense. It, that's kind of interesting, though, because it is not an individual. It's an amalgamation. It's a whole collective of craziness. Whole collection of craziness. I really that, liked that, this episode. Sorry, I just wanted oh, to yeah. put that out there. I like, did too. No, I've was, had a lot of fun. It was kind of, I didn't even know where this was going to go because I just like, kind of picked up this Barbara Snip Smith book and I was like, mm-hmm. dang, like this is awesome. Canada, creepy Canada. Yeah. I love it. Um, did you have any like... I don't know. I got a, conclusions. I, I, I guess just my final thought would be that I I have no idea what to make of any of this, and that I'm so confused by the idea of a poltergeist. Even though I feel like we've kind of narrowed it down, and like I I have an idea of like what we're dealing with when we read these cases. But then when you watch Hollywood movies and we read other articles and there's different aspects of stories, where like I thought I was reading a poltergeist story. I thought I was looking at a haunting, and then it's like. A, it's B, not and black C and white. that are like, yeah. Mm. So that's what I love about this because it is the most bizarre of any anything in the paranormal, in my mm-hmm. opinion. It's different than chasing cryptid creatures. It's different than trying to spot UFOs and analyze UFOlogy. This is the most obscure. And there's so many cases. Like there's a laundry list. The Bell Witch in the 1800s has yeah. been designated as a poltergeist case. The Black mon- Monk of a Pontefract in the 1960s has been designated as a poltergeist you case. You can't forget the Einfeld case, too. Exactly. Uh, what was that, just very briefly? Well, it was that England case. There was the two sisters. Classic, even though a lot of people have 
seemingly debunked it. And, you know, it's one of those ones where it's just all for debate kind of thing. Mm. But another case, right, where it's just seemingly unconvincing evidence, young girls involved, potential hoax, who knows, and that's it. If you haven't experienced firsthand, then it's really hard to make an actual judgment on it. And yeah, that's right. kind of why we are kind of, I feel like we are grasping at straws. Well, we, can, it, we can read the cases, we can look into the history, and in the end, it's like once you experience something like this firsthand, you just don't really know. Yeah. And that's kind of my concluding thought. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And honestly, we just want to know if you guys have ever experienced anything like any of this. Like, we mm-hmm. want to know. I mean, we want to know what you guys think of this episode, but definitely hit us up because we know a bunch of you out there who have posted in the strange room or into the portal, like on our podcast forum there, that you've had some experiences kind of like the families that we've talked about in this episode. Yeah, and we want to do a Patreon bonus episode talking about hauntings in prolific places. Yes. We have a couple of castles that we want to talk about, so that's going to be really cool. It's coming down the pipe real quick. So if you haven't already, go check out our Patreon. Yeah. I just like, there's a lot of cool stuff, and now we've got a few new members, and it's just, it's really fun, and we just want to keep it going strong and just... We and just it appreciate just, you all and, so and it, much. We really do. And honestly, like even at our $1 level, we send you guys all kinds of cool stuff and um, it really helps keep the show going. We've been able to upgrade our equipment because of Patreon and like yeah. you guys really do keep the lights on. It's not just like a cliche. It um, really is. Yeah. So we really, really appreciate that. And uh, even just for hopping on to check it out. Thank you guys for doing that. Mm-hmm. Shoot us an email. If you don't want to post on uh, social media, into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Follow us on socials, though, if you do, at Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram, at Into the Portal One on Twitter, at Into the Portal Podcast on Facebook. And always remember to smash that subscribe button, tell your friends about the show, spread the love, spread the love mm-hmm. of Into the Portal. Um, pumpkin carving. Keep that in mind. I'm just throwing that out there one last time at the end of the episode because I'm so stoked to see what you guys got going. Yay. But uh, until next time on Into the Portal, your gateway to the bazaar. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.